You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Cubot is dropping Egregor ransomware and Ragnar Locker continues its recent rampage. Cryptocurrency platforms are troubled by social engineering at a third party. TrickBot reaches version 100. Stuffed credentials are exposed in the cloud. COVID-19 practices may endure beyond the pandemic. Advice for safer online shopping over the course of the week. Malek Ben Salem from Accenture Labs has methods for preserving privacy when using machine learning. Rick Howard digs deeper into SOAR, and someone's hacking a Premier League side. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 23rd, 2020. Ransomware continues to occupy dreary pride of place in the realm of cybercrime with foreseeable evolutions in the criminal marketplace. Group IB has observed Qbot dropping Egregor ransomware. Egregor has been regarded as the criminal market successor to the now-shuttered maze with which it shares an encrypt and dox strategy. Qbot's operators had formerly been partial to ProLock ransomware, but they've moved on. The FBI has distributed a flash alert on Ragnar Locker, the information-stealing ransomware strain that's been involved in several high-profile, highly damaging attacks since April of this year, and which achieved notoriety for its recent Facebook advertising. Last week, several cryptocurrency platforms, both exchanges and legitimate coin mining services, sustained attempts to divert their email traffic to domains under the control of unauthorized third parties— Krebs on Security reports that the attempts at redirection were facilitated by social engineering of employees of the GoDaddy domain registrar. Some of those attempts coincided with a widespread system outage at GoDaddy that interfered with the registrar's ability to respond to reports of traffic diversion. The timing appears to have been fortuitous. GoDaddy says the outages on November 17th weren't deliberately induced, but cropped up during unexpected difficulties encountered in the course of planned system maintenance. 
Bleeping Computer says TrickBot has reached a milestone. It's now on its 100th version, now more evasive than ever. TrickBot is used, you'll recall, to establish persistence and download a range of other modules into the victim's system. Those modules do such things as steal credentials and other information and facilitate lateral movement across a targeted network. TrickBot has also been commonly used by the operators of Ryuk and Conti ransomware. When the cloud raineth data, it raineth upon the just and the unjust. Criminals don't always excel at OPSEC. The story of enterprises inadvertently leaving databases open to inspection from the Internet without snoopers needing so much as a buy-your-leave is an old and familiar one. It happens to the hoods, too. CNET, citing research published by VPN Mentor, reports that a crew engaged in credential-stuffing Spotify accounts left their list of successfully stuffed credentials exposed online. Spotify is having its users change their passwords. Silicon Angle has an interesting account of the way in which many organizations have come to see what initially seemed to be temporary accommodations to the COVID-19 pandemic as likely to endure in some form or another. It's particularly striking that some of this sentiment comes from sectors that have been disproportionately hit by the effects of the pandemic and who might be expected to wish for, and so to expect, a return to the pre-COVID normal. So their statements also amount to an admission against interest. 2020 has accelerated what we knew was coming, Silicon Angle sums up, especially the continued shift towards solutions offered as services and to the expansion of remote work in ways that make the Internet the new private network. So you've heard of this Black Friday thing, right? We would like to apologize to the rest of the world for the way in which the American propensity to turn holidays into sales has spread beyond these shores. We say we'd like to apologize, but we won't, because rest of the world, you too can enjoy bargains galore, and you're welcome. And besides, who says the Commonwealth has to celebrate Thanksgiving? Anywho, this whole Black Friday and Cyber Monday thing are going to unfold over the course of the next week, and some advice on how to shop safely comes from Britain's National Cybersecurity Center, the NCSC organizes its advice under six headings. Choose carefully where you shop. Leon's Nut House of Bargains, the one with the Pyongyang IP address, is probably the kind of place you want to pass up. Put your virtual hands in your digital pockets and walk on by. Use a credit card for online payments, not a debit card. You may have some protection against fraud with your credit card. If the hoods get your debit card or direct access to your account then your funds are probably just gone, baby gone. Only provide enough details to complete your purchase. The online shoe store doesn't need to know grandma's maiden name, your social security number, or where you were born. Keep your accounts secure with, for example, two-factor authentication by keeping your software up to date and by avoiding password reuse. Watch out for suspicious emails, calls, and text messages because the social engineers can be expected to be out in force. And if things do go wrong, tell the appropriate authorities. There's an appropriate authority for every jurisdiction. You may say all of this is just common sense, and of course it is, but it bears repeating. So safe shopping to you all. Manchester United was hit with an attempted cyber attack Friday, ESPN reports. The English Premier League football, that is soccer club, 
said media channels and personal data were safe and that Man U had shut down affected systems to contain the incident. The attackers have been described in the British press as subtle, sophisticated, but beyond that and beyond their apparent lack of effort, not much is known about them. Man U has reported the incident to the Information Commissioner's Office and the Manchester Police are also investigating. It's worth noting in passing that nowadays almost every attack is described as sophisticated, especially when the victim has a part in framing the description. But some of the tabloid press, like The Sun, have rumbled that the attack shows all the hallmarks of a Russian operation, but espionage seems a bit far-fetched as an explanation. So who was it then? Supporters of another club? Arsenal, for instance? Did the hack amount to a cyber way of shouting, Up the gunners? Oh no, certainly not, and not just because we don't think Arsenal supporters would stoop so low. Ordinary cybercrime seems the likeliest explanation. Man U may have been targeted on the simple Willie Sutton-esque grounds that there's money there. It's one of the world's most valuable professional sports franchises, and the Hoods probably thought they had deep pockets. Anywho, supporters, take heart. Matches were played as scheduled on Saturday. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Rick Howard, the CyberWire's Chief Analyst and Chief Security Officer. Rick, welcome back to the show. Thank you, sir. So last week, you and I were talking about SOAR, and uh, you gave an overview of what exactly SOAR is and why it's important within the Security Operations Center. So after we were finished talking, it struck me that most organizations have a SIM tool already. So why would they need another tool 
just to weed out the noise from, you know, the the avalanche of alerts that they're getting from their security stack? Why not just use their SIM tool to do that? That's a very fine question, and the SIM vendors know it, let me tell you. Okay, so... So SIM stands for Security Information and Event Management, and they first became available as a tool sometime around 2006. They were essentially on-prem analysis engine databases, all right, that according to Stephen Gailey over at Cybersecurity Magazine, quote, uh, they combine a security event management system with a security information management system. So in other words, there are security stack alerts plus intelligence. Right. But I mean, that's kind of my point. I mean, if they already have all the telemetry from all the devices that are in their security stack, why not just program them to get rid of the noise? Yeah. So in those early days, uh, since they were on-prem, okay, the Sims never really had enough hard drive space. Right? We couldn't stuff enough information into them to make them useful. So mm. people like me kept having to make decisions about what not to collect in the Sims. And for the stuff we did collect, we had to decide how long we wanted to keep it. So typically two to three weeks. So it wasn't a really good long-term analysis tool. So Mm. in those early days, SIMs were not that useful. So did the situation improve? I mean, these days we've got cloud storage, you know, storage is as much as you want, right? Sure. Um, You started to see SIM vendors offer cloud storage sometime around 2017. So suddenly, network defenders had infinite hard drive space in the cloud at relatively cheap prices. In the cloud, they could store everything they wanted. But the truth of the matter, though, is those SIM tools have always been hard to automate. You know, their internal scripting languages um, they were proprietary and notoriously hard to use. In, in mm. one of my previous CISO gigs, I hired a full-time guy just to be the SIM programmer. And after a year of work, we had little to show for it. <laughs> well, that, that must, uh, must have caused uh, just a little bit of frustration. Yeah, I couldn't, you know, I'm just walking around going, geez, this can't be this hard. But, you know, that left the situation open for new disruptor technology called SOAR, to come in and fill the gap. And it left the SIM vendor scrambling to stay relevant. And, you know, the result is that the two capabilities are collapsing into each other. SIM vendors are way better today at doing SOAR stuff, and SOAR vendors work more and more seamlessly with the SIM vendors. And I was talking to Kevin McGee about this at the CyberWire's hash table. He is Microsoft CSO for Canada, and he thinks that the next generation analysis tool is some combination of SOAR and SIM delivered from the cloud. Integrating SOAR, integrating other tools, really to make the tool um, Sentinel more than some of its parts. Um, I'm not sure if there's a term coin for next generation SIM or whatnot, but I'm sure it's coming uh, at some point. But uh, I think that's where we're headed. And, and cloud scale is really allowing us to do that, uh, something we've never ever done before. So in this week's CSO Perspectives podcast, we talk about all of that, plus an entire host of things you can use with your SOAR tool that you probably haven't thought about yet. All right. Well, that is over on CSO Perspectives. That is part of CyberWire Pro. You can check all of that out on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She is the America's security R&D lead at Accenture Labs. Malek, it is always great to have you back. Uh, You and I previously talked about some privacy attacks on machine learning. Let's go at that from the the other direction. Can you share with us some some information about preserving privacy when it comes to machine learning? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a... Uh, a new trend, if you will, uh, or a new approach for performing machine learning known as privacy-preserving machine learning. Mm. And the goal of this um, approach is obviously to preserve privacy. Those techniques can be categorized into two different category approaches. Uh, Number one are the cryptographic approaches, where the party that is sharing data with other parties to perform the machine learning or uploading you know, their own data to the cloud, encrypts that data beforehand and performs the uh, machine learning on the encrypted data. Hmm. The way to do that is through homomorphically encrypting the data. Hmm. So homomorphic encryption uh, or fully homomorphic encryption enables the computation on encrypted data with operations such as addition and multiplication that can be used as the basis for more complex arbitrary functions. Hmm. Um, the other, there are other ways of performing uh, or other cryptographic approaches to be used, such as garbled circuits uh, and secret sharing, but the main one is homomorphic encryption. Hmm. Uh, so that, that is one way of performing privacy-preserving machine learning. Um, the other general um, category or approach uh, is known as perturbation approaches. Hmm. And under that category, uh, there is differential privacy. Differential privacy basically is a, is a randomized algorithm uh, by which uh, the party can add some random noise either to the input data that is used to train the machine learning model or to the parameters of the machine learning model itself or uh, to the output of the machine learning model so that when the output gets shared, um, you know, it has some random noise added to it and thereby protecting the, the privacy of the underlying uh, data used to train the model. Hmm. And then the other, uh, you know, main approach under these perturbation approaches is uh, dimensionality reduction. Uh, dimensionality reduction basically is a technique um, by which the goal of which actually is to, to reduce the complexity of the input data to the training model and to make the model itself uh, much simpler and also uh, a lot more robust. Uh, but by reducing the dimensionality of the input data, 
uh, when we talk about dimensionality, we're talking about, you know, you have data with N features. So, it, you know, it can be, it has basically N dimensions to it. And you want to reduce that number uh, so that you rely on a more reduced set of features. So uh, the, the technique basically projects that data into a lower dimensional uh, hyperplane or, or space. But by that transformation, uh, there, is, there is some loss of information. And it's assumed that that loss of information basically um, removes some of the private information uh, and therefore protects privacy. Uh, mm. This is more of an assumption. I think it has to be uh, mathematically proven. Um, you know, we, we have to prove how much privacy is, um, what are the privacy guarantees, if, if at all. Uh, but that's a, a second type of approach that can be used to, to preserve privacy. Hmm. Now, are these uh, you know, computationally expensive? I, I know your homomorphic encryption was something that it seemed like for a while uh, it was just out of reach. And now I know there are a lot of, uh, or not a lot, but there are certainly organizations who are implementing it successfully these days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so homomorphic encryption is very computationally expensive. Um, you know, obviously it depends on the use case and the type of computation and the model being applied. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can assume that on the order of, uh, you know, the order of magnitude is that it's, you know, 1,000 times more uh, expensive computationally than, than the regular, uh, you know, addition or multiplication uh, operation. Uh, so, uh, so the use cases for it have to be carefully selected. Uh, but we have, within Accenture, for instance, for our clients, we have successfully um, been able to, to implement it for specific use cases. Interesting. Yeah. So it's it's in the option. It's it's in the list of options that are available if it's something that uh, that folks think they might need. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. we're gonna see it, you know, being more used uh, with the advances that we see in hardware, right? So. Um, right. Right. All right. Well, Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. My pleasure. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Solutions for a small planet. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ah. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, 
Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.